Hello, I'm Kim Katola, host of Cradle My Heart Radio. Our mission is preventing abortion and helping those it hurts. And our vision is to bring abortion recovery to the church, reaching out to equip and encourage pastors, elders, ministry leaders, and others so they can minister God's love to the millions of Christians personally impacted by this moral crisis of our time. Saving lives and healing hearts, this is Cradle My Heart Radio. Find us online at cradlemyheart.org. Where can you find God's voice in the noise on reproductive choice? For over a million women and men each year, the question goes beyond politics to become much more pressing and personal, both before and after the choice. And we are called to love the little children just as God does. Listen to Cradle My Heart Radio with your host, Kim Katola, speaker, writer, and broadcaster, sharing God's truth to prevent abortion and help those it hurts. Learn more at cradlemyheart.org. Hello and welcome to Cradle My Heart. I'm Kim Katola, and as you may have heard me say in the past, I have heard so many stories of women and men telling me the circumstances of an abortion in their past. And I'm going to share one of, a, one of the themes. I've also said every story is unique. I think every choice represents a separate need of the heart. Um, and, that, and that's amazing to me. When we, d- we did a short feature many, many years ago uh, when I first started in Christian radio and transitioned over from general market radio, and it was called Life Redeemed. And one person's story would unfold in two-minute increments over the course of a week. And we would always ask the person, you know, what was the pivotal scripture? And in a year of programs, everyone had a different word from God that healed their hearts. And that's just amazing to me because, of course, God knows our every need. He knows exactly what each of us individually needs. But one of the themes as I've listened to people's stories is the person who already was a believer and who cannot believe that they acted against their faith in Christ. And maybe they even knew that this was wrong. Maybe they even knew because they were parents already that this was going to be ending a life. And they they have a huge barrier to accepting God's forgiveness because they feel as if they should have known better, they did know better, how could God forgive that? It was so willful. So I want to address that today because um, I think that it's it's a unique challenge, and it's a little bit of, you know, I had to really dig into it myself because I was not a believer when I had the experience at age 23. I was not yet a parent, and so a lot of the dynamics for me were very different. But I think what the, the you know, those two types of stories, just my story and, and someone who was mature in Christ and already a parent and yet went ahead and had an abortion, I think what this demonstrates is that you know, none of us, is immune. Anybody can be, you know, uh, backed into a corner, feel desperate. Um, anybody subject to sin. It's a sin issue. Abortion is also a, always a spiritual crisis because it's always a matter of life and death. And so this issue of I was already a believer and how can God forgive me when I was so willful? And I, the re- I wasn't really planning to do this idea today, but I've studied it a lot, but the reason why I wanted to talk with you about it is because this verse in 1 Peter, starting 1 Peter 1, starting at verse 6, it's actually a passage. It says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, 
so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him. You greatly rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You know, I wish that there was a place in Scripture where we could go and hear Peter's thoughts about having betrayed Christ, where where he could come and tell us, wow, I never believed I would do that, and I cannot believe that he not only forgive me, forgave me, but he placed me in leadership. What in the world? How can I even ever fathom this? But I think this passage displays that heart, doesn't it? Because he was sifted like wheat. At the Last Supper, Jesus said to him, you know, you guys, you're going to scatter. And Peter said, I will never scatter. He promised him, right? And Jesus said, you know what? You're going you're gonna to betray me three times before the rooster crows. And Peter's like, never. And Jesus said, Peter, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. And when you turn back, you may strengthen the brothers. This is in Luke 22. And so it all happened just like Jesus said it was going to happen. How do you recover from that? Uh, one of the things I have found is so helpful is uh, it's a relatively new field of teaching about moral injury. I don't know if you're familiar with that term, but I um, I follow the Volunteers of America, which is a, a faith-based and Christian organization, primarily working to help soldiers with PTSD because it's so common for a soldier to to go ahead and have a moral injury, right? They know that it's wrong to kill, and yet they may be called to do it in war. And so when they do that, how do they reconcile? I knew it was wrong, yet I did it. I followed orders even though it was wrong. So how do I possibly, um, you know, how do I possibly reconcile that? And how do I recover from it is the question that is often asked. And one of the things that we hear about is, you know, especially when trying to, um, trying to reconcile moral injury is that we're all capable of creating and enacting a moral injury. And no one wants to believe that about themselves. No one wants to say, well, yes, I could. You know, because why? I mean, one of the reasons why, of course, is because we judge others when they have a moral fall. And we don't want to place ourselves in that same category. We don't want to, you know, put ourselves in uh, in that group, uh, carry that label, have to feel that truth about ourselves, right? So as we recover from this, it becomes very important that we share our story, that we talk it through. But unlike PTSD, what what the researchers have found with um, soldiers who've experienced moral injury is that it's not the same type of a wound as post-traumatic stress disorder. Because with post-traumatic stress disorder, this may often be something that has occurred to you versus the moral injury, something that happened out of your will and out of your volition. So you, know, you may, with PTSD, you may need to forgive an enemy for having shot you or killed a comrade in battle, right? But with moral injury, it's your own 
spirit and actions that have to be reconciled. And people with moral injury will often feel grief as well as guilt, remorse, shame, outrage, despair. They lose trust in themselves. And I think that's at the heart of this question when someone who had an abortion, though they believed in Christ, how do I trust myself to ever follow him faithfully when I didn't turn to him in that moment of crisis, right? So they lose trust in themselves and in their moral foundations, and then their relationships can be disrupted. They can't trust others not to judge them, and then they self-isolate. They mask their inner pain with alcohol or drugs. They can become alienated uh, from societal norms and lash out in anger at the slightest provocation, and they might be doing all these things while they're highly functioning in their jobs and in their families. But if you try to get too close, or if something may trigger this idea that you're not really a moral person who can be trusted, then, you know, sort of the beast becomes unleashed. And what I like about the approach that Voices uh, Volunteers of America takes is that they acknowledge that this is a spiritual problem, and you're probably going to have your best result with a spiritual solution. Because they say it applies to everyone, not just soldiers, under duress, under duress that is. We all can violate our moral code in many situations, and they cite some examples, such as a doctor misdiagnoses someone and the patient dies. Uh, A mother living with addiction loses custody of her children. Office worker fabricating documents for fear of losing a job. An expectant mother has to abort a problem pregnancy. Yep, they, they place us who have had abortions in this bucket as needing this kind of help. And they even say, you know, perhaps a minister who's had an affair or is caught up in pornography or any number of transgressions that the clergy may be subject to. Um, It's common for this moral injury dynamic to follow in the wake of, of transgressing your own moral code along with what you know to be the truth of Scripture. So what do we see in Peter's aftermath from his betrayal of Jesus? What do we see as he um, tries to somehow now follow Jesus. And how did he get from that coward who, you know, was afraid of a servant girl admitting to her that, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. How did he get from that guy into this passage we heard from his first letter talking about, you know, the glory? And I think it's, we go to the heart of the trial and the testing. Peter said, you know, Peter said, you, you, you faced many trials. And he says, you know, you were, you're tried by fire. He's talking about himself there, isn't he? If necessary, you've been distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's in First Peter 1, verse 7. I think, as I've been pondering this and praying about it and meditating on it this morning, you know, thinking about what I would say to you about this dynamic and about Peter's life and his experience and the lessons. He's so many lessons for us today, doesn't he? I think that I'm turning it over in my mind as to who benefits most from a test. If you've ever had a wonderful instructor and hopefully maybe even one-on-one, a coach or somebody who really took time to work with you, maybe a teacher, and they knew you and they got you in your learning style and they understood how to reward you and motivate you and you loved learning from this teacher, right? Well, if you ever, you know, 
got into the testing time with this teacher, kind of ask yourself, did the teacher really know how you were going to perform on that test? <laughs> or, you know, do, were they equally surprised when you aced it or didn't? You know, and I mean, we've all had that experience, too, of thinking, nailed it. No, you didn't. <laughs> or you've gone through a test and you're like, oh, I was prepared. I knew my material. That was so good because I studied and, you know, I put in the work or, or whatever the various responses are. Um, so I don't necessarily have an answer, although if we if we now extrapolate that analogy into, well, did God know Peter was going to fail? Well, clearly Christ told him, you're going to fail. Jesus told him, you're you're going to betray me. You're going to fail in a huge way. Now, you know, it's kind of like we get into that theological tension. Well, did then did God make him betray him? Of course not. It's, you know, it's like parents know their toddlers. Like, that one's going to take the cookie. That one's probably going to listen to me and sit down. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like you're not making them do it. You just know them so well that you can't anticipate. And you know their hearts. You know, if you're God, you know our hearts. You know, you know where our hearts are going to take us. And, of course, God never causes us to sin. But we see quite clearly in this dynamic with Peter that Jesus said, the devil wants to sift you like wheat. And how hard is that to accept? Man, we would rather, you know, hold on to our control with our cold, dead hands than say, oh, Satan has control over me. Or, oh, I gave him a foothold. Or, oh, you know, I was just some innocent chump that he picked off because I, for whatever reason, we just, it's so, it feels so vulnerable to feel as if we are subject to Satan's whims. But think again about what Jesus said to Peter. He's asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. And when you have turned back, strengthen the brothers. This tells me part of the value of the test is you're going to learn this lesson and so internalize and incorporate it into your thinking that you're going to have a great story to tell others. Imagine if somebody came to Peter after a moral failure, after he'd been restored. He had to say, brother, you have not failed as badly as I did, right? I mean, and then he could tell the story and the person could say, and yet God put you in leadership? And Peter would say, first he prayed for me, you know, right? He told me he was going to pray for me. And now he's using me to strengthen others in the same way that my failure, you know, uh, tried to test my faith to the to a breaking point. So I just I'm, I I feel as if there may be somebody listening right now who fits into this category of I should have known better. And this, I have to tell you that I have helped to lead abortion recovery efforts at local pregnancy centers in several different areas of the country over the last 15 years or so. My my own recovery was about 20 years ago. Um, and there's some controversy in those who are offering restoration in Christ after abortion as to whether or not there's a thing called forgiving yourself. And I know that that's a, a theological thorn in the side of many. <laughs> and if someone tells me I can't forgive myself, you know, there it's a challenge, right? It's like throwing down the gauntlet. Wait a minute. Let's get into your discipleship, right? Because Jesus paid it all. We, he said it is finished. 
are you trying to place yourself above the blood of Christ? You know, I I know a woman who said that, um, you know, her spiritual advisor had said that to her when she said, I, I can't forgive myself. And I think that she experienced it not as... Um, not as the comforting correction that the rod and the staff of our good shepherd carry with him. <laughs> she took that rebuke as a personal rejection of her faith, that her faith wasn't formed properly. And now on top of, you know, her original offense, now she's being told she's offending God. And so I don't think that that's necessarily always the most helpful response when someone says, I can't forgive myself or I can't accept that I am forgiven. To me, often there's what what happens is if someone says, I can't forgive myself, it's a real big red flag that they haven't forgiven someone else. So that might be your next question, right? Like, oh, well, have you forgiven the, the father of the baby? Or have you forgiven your parents for pressuring you? Or have you forgiven, you know, the abortion business that lied to you and told you it was just tissue or you know have you there's so have you forgiven the politicians that made this legal and made you think that there, that it was benign and that it was not a moral proposition at all and there's so many people that we need to forgive and there's so many people around every single abortion that God will hold accountable and you know if upon reflecting on that often no there is a lot of anger there's a lot of blame. There's a lot of forgiveness that still needs to take place. So that might be a starting point if you're confronted with someone who says, I can't forgive myself. But as I look back to the dynamic between Jesus and Peter, what did Peter do, right? Jesus told him, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. What did he do? He went back to the boat. He starts fishing again. He... he he now denies the identity, his new identity that Jesus had given him as a fisher of men. First he denied Jesus, now he denies his new identity uh, before he sees the resurrected Christ. But there they are in the boat, and, you know, they the breakfast on the shore, and Jesus asks this, you know, threefold question, do you love me? And I think that's so beautiful because isn't that the question for someone who says, I cannot believe that I did that? Well, do you love Jesus? You know, I mean, it's it's such a, a shift in focus from you know that inward look that says, "I, the, you know, I'm the chief of sinners." Whatever it is, when we get really honest with ourselves, that inward look is painful to really own who we are. But I think that ownership is also a key because. Along with needing to understand, I, I mean, I, the reason why I don't dismiss forgiving yourself out of hand is we all have a relationship with ourselves. We we just do, you know, and that's how you discipline yourself. You say self, you know, and there are many examples in the scripture of, you know, I said to my soul, praise the Lord. You know, we all have a relationship with ourselves. And so it's also subject to, you know, um, breakdown at different points. Um, so I, I think I, I try to take that into account. But for me, the the true acceptance of the fullness of God's forgiveness came when I owned the full depravity, the full measure of my sin. You know, saying, I can't, how could I have done that, is saying, I'm not that bad. 
on some level, right? But if I accept, oh, I did do that, you know, and in my case, um, I was 23 and we weren't married and I thought he'd just marry me and we would move forward and have this baby. I uh, I had quit college after a couple of years, really squandered some, you know, my grandpa had left money and I uh, I just squandered that, walked away. I didn't fail or anything. I just, I mean, I was aimless at 19, 20. And I went back home to Minnesota, and I can't believe how gracious my dad was to me for wasting Grandpa's money. And he, sa- he said, why don't you try radio? So, okay, I did that, you know. And and then I, I paid my dues up in, you know, the little market, the medium market for a year. And then I got my dream job. I, I am hosting my own show uh, live on the radio at age 23 in Minneapolis, St. Paul, right on the edge of a major market radio. <laughs> I think it's number 15 market. And so, you know, it, I, I'm, I'm like, this is my chance. This is my relaunch. This I have got to make good now, right, because I'm 23 and I have to stop I have to get my life in hand, and you know I'm I'm engaged, and he didn't give me a ring. We didn't have a date, but he was sincere, I thought. And so, anyway, um, I think I got pregnant the day I started that job in the major market because the abortion was at 12 weeks, three months later. And you know I was so mortified when he said, no, we're not getting married. He didn't say, you know, he didn't jilt me, so to speak. He he said, not now. He had some things that were very pressing in his mind. and uh, But I took it as an abject rejection. And I was so shocked by that, that there was very little room for reflection about a new life that I was carrying. And I asked my trusted advisors, is it a baby? And I heard from more than one source, not yet, just tissue. And so for me, it was problem solving. There was no moral proposition at all. And, you know, I had some Christian upbringing as a child, didn't comprehend it, certainly didn't comprehend the cross. Uh, But I was a theist. I was a good little deist. I knew God existed. I knew he was really mad about sin. And I'd spent most of my young adulthood avoiding him (laughs) for that reason. I thought I could never please him. Again, I didn't understand the cross, right? And so so this decision was just not moral, had nothing to do with that. But you know how in Second Corinthians, God says, when we are tempted, God is faithful and he will provide a way out. Right before every, the moment of truth, at a literal moment of truth, uh, an attendant took my hand and asked me if I was all right, and I knew it was wrong. My conscience was awakened, and I knew that I should get up and get out of there. But I pictured him in the waiting room. Then I pictured somehow showing up to work, pregnant, or with a, no, I'm fine. And so my failure was that I was the last line of defense, you know, in, in my, the life and death of my child. I could not grasped that there was a child involved, really until God restored me, which was many years, decades later, 20 years later. So, you know, when when we think about how could you, again, you know, one of my mentors says, I used to steal candy when I was a kid. I could think of a lot of reasons why I should steal that candy or why I could, right? 
we often know something's wrong and we find reasons to do it anyway. So whether it's reflecting on our own moral failings or as pro-lifers who are, you know, definitely thinking of the babies and thinking of the children, uh, and we're looking at a pregnant woman and we're saying, how could she? It's, I just don't think that's a helpful question. I get it. I mean, our sense of outrage is, you know, is engaged. And, and we begin to think, someone must do something, so at least I'm going to speak up and say I'm outraged. But I don't think that is a helpful question. Because I think if we really look at the life of Peter, we see we're all capable of just about anything, especially if God gives Satan permission to sift us as wheat, as Jesus did with Peter. But when that happens, know Jesus is praying for you, and he will use the results of your trial for the benefit of others, because that's who he is, (laughs) because that's how he loves you. He knows his purpose for you, and it cannot be deterred. I hope that's a word of encouragement for you today. And if you're stricken by a moral failing on any level, that you can, instead of reflecting upon what you've done, and even on the outcome and the losses, uh, reflecting on your love for him. Do you love him? Do do you love him? I mean, do you love him? (laughs) And if you answer those questions in the affirmative, I know that you will be restored. This is Cradle My Heart Radio. Thanks so much for being with us today. This is Cradle My Heart Radio with Kim Katola, preventing abortion and helping those it hurts. Please get in touch with Kim. Find out more at cradlemyheart.org. You can listen to the podcast on all platforms.